0: Greetings, my friends. Thank you for joining me this morning. Today we are continuing our study in the gospel according to Matthew. We're ready for chapters eight and nine this morning. Chapter eight deals with the cleansing of a leper uh, and dealing with demon possession. Chapter nine deals with the uh, really the the most important section or most Probably what we'll be spending the most time thinking about this morning is dealing with uh, the Lord eating and drinking with sinners, and we're going to have to have a little debate about verse nine, or I'm sorry, chapter nine, verse thirteen. That I think you'll find very interesting this morning. I don't want to waste a lot of time with a big long introduction. I just want to dig right in. So open up your hearts. And let's see what the Word of God has to say to us this morning. As I have been doing uh, since we started this series uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'll be reading from the uh, New American Standard Bible, the NASB, and why that matters for the good or for the worse uh, will be making itself kind of known when we get to that verse that we're going to debate. All right. Let's dig in. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 8. Verse one. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leopard came to him and bowed down before him and said, "Lord, if you are willing you can make me clean." And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, "I am willing." be cleansed and immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him see that you tell no one but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them and when Jesus entered capernaum a satyrian came to him imploring him and saying lord my servant is lying paralyzed at home fearfully tormented And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the satyrion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, "Go, and it shall be done for you, that you have believed." And the servant was healed that very moment. Please note what Jesus saying when he says that they're going to come from that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about how the Gentiles are going to come in, and those who think they're part of the kingdom simply because of their DNA and have not accepted Messiah by faith will be rejected, will be cast out, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The commentary in the study Bible I'm reading says this, The Hebrew nation, physical heirs of Abraham, will be cast out. This was exactly opposite to the rabbinical understanding, which suggested that the kingdom of would feature a great feast in the company of Abraham and the Messiah open to Jews only. And so obviously from the east and the west as Gentiles in the kingdom with Abraham and enjoy the salvation the salvation and the blessings of God. Continuing on verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. And when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word, and healed all that were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities, and carried away our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a the scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. So please note, let's deal with these two things because they're not what most people think. Well, first of all, the, fair, the scribe says, come follow me. And Jesus says, says that quote, you know, essentially saying, I have nowhere to lay my head. What he's saying is, is, following me comes with a cost. If you want to follow me, it's it's going to be hard. Right? following jesus comes at a cost which is why he's always making comments like this which is why he plainly says to count the cost right then this person comes and says first let me per- first permit me to go bury my father now people think that this means that his father must have just now died and he's saying please let me go to the funeral real quick and jesus is telling him no What's happening here is this is like an old Hebrew idiom or phrase. It simply means, let me wait on my inheritance. And Jesus is saying, when he says, let the dead bury their own dead, he's simply saying, let the world worry about worldly things. Right? Like, you follow me. Let the world worry about worldly things. It's very unlikely that this guy's coming to Jesus and his dad just died and Jesus is telling him don't the dead will bear their end what's the context of the of the conversation it's about following Jesus and not having excuses or I'm going to follow Jesus after I've got my inheritance or that's what's going on here let's continue on verse 23. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him?" When he came to the other side of the country, of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by the way, and they cried out saying, "'What business do we have with each other, Son of God?' Have you come here to torment us before the time? Please note, this is such an interesting phrase, interesting thing for the demonic to say. First of all, when we think about the story, we we'll always think about just one guy coming out of the tombs, don't we? What does Matthew say? Two of them, two men that were demon possessed, they immediately recognize him as the Son of God. Right? No confusion about who it is. Also, no confusion about what is the ultimate thing, like ultimately where it's going to end and lie. And the timing. They have an awful lot of knowledge here. They ask him, well, first of all, they identify him as the son of God. And then they say, are you here to torment us before the time? See, they, they knew there was a specific time. Where that final judgment would come and that it wasn't yet. Very, very interesting. It's kind of freaky to think about how much knowledge the spiritual realm has and how clueless we as human beings are. What business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Verse 30 Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And they came out and they went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demonics. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. So please note, you're probably wondering, why would they want him to leave? There? Well, this very likely would have been economically devastating. If you have a small little area, their their economy is based on this herd of swine. And now the herd of swine is drowned. <laughs> Obviously, they're also Gentiles, right? So, they have no idea what's going on here. Alright, chapter 9. Here's where things are going to start to get... Well, they're already interesting, but we're having an interesting conversation about verse 13 once we get to it. Chapter 9, verse 1. Getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And he brought to him a paralytic lying on the bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralegic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralegic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and he went home, but when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. And as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and he followed him. Then it happened that Jesus was reclining at a table in a house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So please note, here's the controversy in the text. First of all, something that just came to my mind. Often we read these things and people try to use this as an excuse to surround themselves with sinful people well, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to go sit around the bar and just hang out with, um, you know, sinners. And this is just my ministry. First of all, you're not Jesus. That's number one. Jesus didn't say go and surround yourself with wicked people. Did he? That's, that's the first thing that I wanted to point out, but that's not what we're getting ready to get into. Let's get into this verse because the Pharisees are like, Hey, what are you doing? Eating with, eating with sinners. And Jesus says, well, it's not the healthy who need a physician. Who's the physician, by the way, it's Jesus. It's not the healthy. who need a physician, but the sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, the reason why this is controversial is because the King James says it's considerably different. Which changes the entire meaning in my point, in my point of view. Let's look listen to it from the King James. But go and learn what this meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. See one of them has a call of action. Almost all modern Bible translations will just say I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Whereas the King James says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's a significant difference. There's, I'm calling sinners, which just means, oh, look, I'm a sinner. Jesus called me. And then there's, I'm calling sinners to repent. One of them has a call of action, right? One of them has an expectation. Believe and turn away from sin. Believe and repent. Believe, turn away from sin. The reason why I have take or the reason why I take issue with, with the modern translations and this particular verse is because I feel like it lends credibility to the greasy grace mentality which is oh look at me, I'm a sinner, Jesus called me. Did he call you or did he call you to repent? Can you follow Christ and still live like the world? You have to turn away from sin. That's part of the gospel. You repent. So then the debate becomes, which is it? Which translation is right? Is it, I've come not for the righteous, but sinners, or I've come not for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance? Which is it? The reason why there's a difference is because of the manuscripts that are used for the translations. So there's a set of manuscripts that the scholars, 50 of them, used when they compiled the King James Bible. And then there's some manuscripts that have that are more recently found that there's not as many of by the way which should be taken into consideration but it's not their claim is that they're older so since they're older this has to be the right translation which is not the way scholarship should work but that's what they've done interestingly to note, to be fair because I have my opinion, right? My opinion is that it should be translated the way the King James has it. I have not come to call the call sinners or call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To be fair, the uh, manuscripts are not, or the English translations of the Hebrew manuscripts that I'm looking at. Remember, we've talked about this when we first started this series. There is a there is a couple of hebrew manuscripts but again very few the manuscript evidence for them is not nearly what it is for the greek manuscripts that were used to create the king james bible that's just a fact whether you like it or not and the way you look at the way you do scholarship is when you're looking at manuscripts to determine what manuscript should be used you go with the one that has the most and that agree with each other there's very few that are being used for these modern translations and they don't even agree with each other most of the time. So there's all kinds of problems with those. Anyway, to be fair, I'm going to tell you what it, is, what it says in these two translations of, a, of two different Hebrew manuscripts. The first one, verse 13, go and learn what is written. I desire kindness, not sacrifice. I have not come to restore the righteous, but the wicked. Okay, so that one kind of goes with a modern day translations, right? The other one does the same thing. Verse 13, go to learn what this wants to say. For I desire steadfast love more than an offering. I did not come to call the righteous ones, but I came for the sinners. All right, so those two tend to agree with the modern translation, right? So I thought an interesting experiment would be, well, let's go back even further. Let's go back to, like, early church fathers who basically commentate and quote all these things, and what do they quote? Well, I didn't have time to dig them all out for you this morning, but I did dig out two. The first one, St. Jerome. Now you say, who's St. Jerome? St. Jerome, uh, he lived in Rome, Rome. Um, Somewhere around 369, he had some uh, connections with Origen, who's arguably one of the most famous, well-known, most important theologians, biblical scholars during the early Greek church. So Jerome, he quotes Matthew 9.13, and here's the quote, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I thought, well, let's go back even further. Let's go back to one of the earliest church fathers we have. Let's go back to Justin Martyr, who died in 165. Okay, so that's not very far removed. He would have been a disciple of a disciple of a disciple. So but just about as close as you can get to the original. Here's his quote. His words being, and this is out of his book, First Apology, if you want to look it up yourself. His words being, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the King James, based on the manuscript evidence that they had, it should say to repentance based on church fathers going all the way back to Justin martyr in 110 sinners to repentance. And you may and you may think I'm making a bigger deal out of this than I should be. But I, th- I think it is a big deal. One just says I'm being called. The other one says I'm being called with a purpose to do something, which is to repent. You can do what you like with that. I'm just giving you the scholarly evidence here. And I presented a couple of different positions for you. Ultimately, you have to pray, seek God, and come to your own conclusion. But what I always try to warn people to do when we're about this when we're doing this, do not fall into the trap of your pet doctrines. Or this is my little pet thing, and so i got to protect it. So I'm just going to go out and find information that agrees with what I want. You have to look at all sides like we just did. We looked at the NASB. We looked at the King James Bible. We looked at two Hebrew manuscripts. We looked at the church fathers. And then you come to your own conclusion as best as you can. But you have to look at all things and all sides or you're not really doing scholarship. You're just trying. You're just doing what most people in this world today do about any topic, which is they just seek with their whole heart people who agree with them rather than actually examining the evidence. Alright, I'm done with that whole thing. Let's finish this off here. About 15 more verses. Verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to him, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. But no one puts a patch out of unshrinked cloth cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the worse the tear results, nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they too put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying these things, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the official's house, he saw the flute players in the crowd in noisily noisy disorder. And he said, Leave the girl. And leave. The girl has not died, but is asleep. And he began laughing at him, ha- laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. Now, just a just, just an interesting note: when Jesus arrives, there's like a bunch of people, and it says no- the noisily, noisy, dis- noisily. Uh, disorder and a bunch of commotion going. This is because it was kind of like a weird tradition or at least it's weird to us that they would, when something like this would happen, they would hire mourners, right? Like they would literally hire people to come and cry. Seems strange to us, but this is, this is just a practice that happened. So these are the people that are also probably laughing, right? They don't actually, they might not have like a real personal connection to the, to the girl It's very likely they're just hired mourners. But anyway, he entered and he took her by the hand and the girl got up. And this news spread throughout all the land. And as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came up to him and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out, and they spread the news about him throughout all the land. And as they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has ever been done in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. Verse 35. And Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispersed like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into the harvest. And that is the end of our study for this morning. That last that last point that Jesus makes is incredibly important. I believe that we are in a similar situation today. People are like sheep without a shepherd. People are demon-possessed and tormented all around us. People are deceived and blinded by sorcery, pharmakia. And they're longing for some reason to have hope. As the world descends into madness and darkness And so few are the harvesters. So few are those who are willing to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. I pray you've been blessed by the study this morning. Please remember that this broadcast is 100% listener supported. You can become a Patreon subscriber and help support this monthly. That's what pays a majority of the cost to provide the podcast and the hosting and all the things that go along with that. Please consider becoming a Patreon. You can do that by going to scriptureandprophecy.com and selecting the support tab. For those of you who can't afford to support the mission of truth, your prayers are extremely important and coveted. Please consider praying for me and this ministry. That's all I have for you this morning. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.